things before we um, get off the camp thing. I don't, I don't know if everybody knows. There's cabins, so you're not going to be sleeping in tents. And there's also RV spaces, so if you have a, a trailer, an RV, you'd like to do that. Uh, and uh, going to be $100 per person over five years and over. Everybody over four years old. We can't do anything about the little ones because they have to pay for insurances. So just so everybody knows, I think everybody kind of knew, but uh, Carrie is taking the registrations. So you can get those done anytime you want to. Get all that taken care of and you don't want to miss. It will be a wonderful time. I, uh, I, I thought about this. I, we grew up, that's what we did every summer. That's what we did. We went to camp and there, we don't even know where to send people. That's kind of how it is with everything we do, so we'll just do it ourselves. <laughs> It'll be a blessing, amen? Yes. Amen. Well, that wasn't enough amens, but after this camp, everybody say amen. We'll be all, everybody will be really happy. It'll be great. Amen. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of Luke, the ninth chapter, and the 23rd verse. Very familiar pastor, passage of scripture around here, but I, I want to use it as a text um, because I'm still on this thought, and is everybody okay if I teach tonight? We don't have to, we don't do a whole lot of just good old fashioned revival type preaching because that's good. I love it. There's a time for it. In fact, camp a lot of times is that place where we get recharged. And, but I think something that was lacking in my life, and maybe I'm, I'm so appreciative of my dad for leading us in this direction, growing up in that kind of Pentecostal setting, we got a lot of energy, but we didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I got a German wire hair pointer. Anybody ever seen one of them? That's the definition of a lot of energy and don't know what to do with it. I let her out and she just runs in circles sometimes, like chases her tail for a minute and then runs all over. She just doesn't know what to do with it. And being fired up, being excited about God is good. That's necessary. We need to have the energy to passionately pursue God. But if we don't know where to place that energy, if we don't know how to live for Jesus then I don't know that it's doing us a whole lot of good. There used to be an old saying in Pentecost, I remember it when I was a kid, wildfire is better than no fire. Anybody ever heard that, some of the old timers? Meaning, you know, that we'd rather have people doing crazy things than, uh, than not be excited at all. And I've actually got the opposite opinion of that. I've seen some wildfires around here. I've seen it devour a lot of towns and a lot of houses, and I don't like it. I want controlled fire or none at all. And so that's kind of how we are spiritually. So I want to teach because I've just felt like the Lord leading in this direction that there's some things I am seeing more clearly. I don't know that they're revelation to you. I don't know that they're brand new for you. Um, probably things that we've preached at some point, dad has or I have, but maybe some new thought, maybe some new perspective. And that's something the Lord's been doing in my heart. So this passage of scripture, Luke 9, 23, one of my favorite passages uh, I think about it all the time. When we were doing discipleship, we quoted this often. It's where we get our four D's of discipleship. You hear that term? It comes out of this passage of Scripture. We used it a lot to, to teach discipleship. The, the root word of being a follower of Jesus is disciple. The root word is discipline. That's what it means. You cannot follow Jesus without discipline. This is not a wild and free, um, come as you will, do whatever you want to do relationship. This is, Jesus said, you'll know that you're my friends when you do what I tell you to do. Pretty simply. So I, I want to pick up this scripture. And he said to them, if anyone desires, everybody say desires, to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I'm focusing in on that word desire. 
Um, that's what I'm going to preach on, my desire. I talked about my, uh, my will or I will last time, and I want to speak about my desire this time. So, Lord, we ask you, God, that you would minister through your word tonight, God. What I say can't change anybody. Uh, my words have no effect on someone's life. Lord, but your word changes us from the inside out. It never returns void God, every time we receive it, it always accomplishes what you desire. The only time we have a problem with your word is on our end. It's not on your end. I'm thankful, Lord, that it's fruitful, that it never fails to be fruitful. And we give you all the glory, Jesus. And everybody say amen. amen. So our desire is the very essence of knowing the Lord. Think about that for a minute. Our desire is the very essence of our knowledge of God. If we don't desire, then we have no relationship with God. God extends His grace. When we're in complete defiance, we, we sing, sung tonight about the grace of God and the amazing grace. How many are thankful for His grace and how amazing it is? I testified last week down at the choir thing about Sister Mandy, and I'll always remember the grace and the mercy of God. I have other things that I'll share down the road as, as uh, these testimonies get um, further down the road and more established. But I've seen God's hand in grace a few times. I've seen that mercy, I mean, just so evident in my life a few times. And I'm thankful for that, that he extends that grace when we're in defiance and when we are ignorant or when we don't even care at all. It's the grace of God that calls us. Amen. His mercy extends beyond my faults and failures that disqualify us from salvation. God gives new birth and new life to the dead and trespasses and sins without hope in this world. Those are all things that God does. God supplies the grace. God supplies the mercy. God supplies the new life. But God does not supply the desire. This is the part where we're going to do some teaching. God does not supply the desire. The desire, the will, is supplied by us. You are going to do. My dad used to say this, and, I, and it's funny because it's a simple little saying. He used to say this to me, and uh, a lot of people don't like it, but it's a good saying. And that is, you find time to do what you want to do. How many agree with that? You just find time to do what you want to do. So when it comes to the things of the Lord, if you're not finding time for them, it's because you don't want to. And that's the part that I said people don't like. That's it, right there. Because we want to make excuses. We want to say, if I, well, if I really had the time, I'm just so busy with work. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I've got a lot of family things to do. But the truth is that we find time to do what we want to do. Our desire dictates to us how we live. This is why I do appreciate, I hate it, but I do appreciate the fasting. Because the fasting, again, is not a hunger strike to get God to do what we want to do. The fasting is putting my body under for a day to tell it to shut its mouth for a minute so that I can remind it that God's in control of my life and not my belly. We can look at all the problems that are happening in America. They're all based on belly gods. It's all our appetite, not just our physical appetite, but our appetite for, for more and for, uh, a lust for, for um, you know, what's visual and what's physical. All of those things drive us. Our desires drive our life. And so many people are confused. This is a, a, such a huge point of contention for people. 
And that is that, that God's going to make them at some point feel like doing something they otherwise don't want to do. They feel like at, at some point in this relationship... As I go on, you know, I come to the Lord, I, I pray a prayer, whatever the, the American gospel is. I come in and I, and I pray a prayer, and I mean it, and that means I'm saved, and then I really don't want to live for God. I really don't want to follow Him. I really don't want to do what His Word says. But at some point, if I kind of hang around church long enough, then God will kind of make me want to do those things. It's a real point of confusion for people, because I want to reaffirm something for you. God is not going to make you do anything. Nothing. In fact, that free will that he gives us, that opportunity to choose, the fact that we are body, soul, and spirit. We're not just a, a, an exterior frame and that breath in our lungs that gives life, but that soul inside of us proves that God's going to allow us to make choices. And that God gives gives us the, the access to control our lives. We're not robots. God didn't create us as robots. God created us as free will individuals who have a right to choose how we want to live. And that confusion, though, that, that thing that maybe God's going to make me do something. See, I really don't want to pray. I really don't want to, uh, want to seek the Lord. I really don't want to discipline my life. But if I hang around it long enough, then, then maybe God will make me want to do that. Well, maybe not. So then where do we go? Well, grace. See, the grace of God is there to cover up all the things I don't want to do. So God says to do it. I don't want to do it. I just call on the grace of God and God's grace covers all the stuff I don't want to do. Well, that's a good philosophy. It's not biblical. It's not scriptural, but it's a good thought. Um, and then others would say, well, that's what the mercy of God's for. The mercy of God is there to extend credit. It, it's there to give me credit. And, and, and really what we do with that is a lot of times is like, you, you know you have a credit limit. You know you're over your credit limit on your card, and then you continue to spend and charge things on the credit card. You know that's going to turn out really bad for you. And it's going to turn out really bad for you with God. When you think that his mercy is a credit card that has no end to it, that you can just keep charging on it, you can keep living however you want, doing whatever you want, but saying, oh, God's mercy is so great toward me. That's, a lot of people think of God in a lot of different ways. But the truth is, I want to remove as much confusion as possible. Make it clear as possible. God's grace is there to call you. God's mercy is there to look beyond your faults and extend salvation. But if you reject the spirit of grace and lose the desire to follow Jesus, there remains no sacrifice for your sin. Now, some of you didn't say amen right there. Which means you may not necessarily agree, so let's go right to the Word of God and let's let God decide it. Amen? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. This is a, this is a great place to, to look if we don't want to deal with these kinds of things. So Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. Hebrews 10, 26 says, I'm not making this up. You can see it on the wall. You can read it in your Bible. Whatever version you want to look into, I really don't care. Just look at what it says. For if we sin willfully. Everybody see that word willfully? 
Remember what the will is? It's that area of our hearts where we have predisposed ideas and thoughts. We're not unbiased. It's our desire, our will. It's what we want to do. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. See, I just said that, but that doesn't always sound good. So the word of God says it also makes it clear, makes it something we have to deal with now. We can't just say, well, I don't believe Hebrews 10, 26. We have to deal with it. Go on. There remains no sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. I know somebody told you that God was not going to judge anymore, that his wrath had been poured out on the, on the cross upon Jesus, but that's just simply absolutely not true. You'll never find that in the scripture. It's not there. It's a great theory. It makes us feel really good that God's no longer angry. But the scripture again says that God's angry with the wicked every day. He's not just angry with wickedness, but God is angry with the wicked. The ones doing the work, God's angry with that because their desires are evil. And so if you sin willfully after you have come into the knowledge of truth, there remains no sacrifice of sin, but there does remain something for you. And that is that fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much more worse Punishment, do you suppose, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and did what? Insulted the Spirit of grace. You see, there's a problem. We think that God's grace cannot be insulted. Right? We, we hear this term that God's grace means unmerited favor. Unmerited means there's nothing you could do to lose it, right? There's no merit involved. It doesn't matter how you live or what you do. The grace is there. But this scripture says those who have transgressed, those who have sinned after coming to the knowledge that they have insulted the grace of God. I'm trying to prove the point to you tonight. I'm setting up the foundation for you to understand what your desire is matters to God. In fact, your desire, I believe, and I know this could get slippery, but let me just step out on the ice for a minute. I believe your desire is more important than your action. Now, I'm not excusing bad behavior. I don't mean it that way. But the desire of your heart to pursue him and to live right, if you did make a mistake, then you would say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be right with you because the desire of your heart's to be right. Amen? Were somebody who doesn't really care about pleasing God but never committed any sin, would they be right with God? No. Because the problem is the desires of our heart. That's really where it needs to be. What is it that we're doing? What, what is it that, that we desire to do? Let, i got to read a couple more scriptures. So then verse, verse 30. For who we, who we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, and I will repeat, repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So look at verse 35, and let's skip down for the sake of time. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. 
So our desire to follow after Jesus, our desire to live for the Lord is vital to our knowledge base, to our experience, to our relationship with God. And if you feel afar from God, it's because your desire generally is not where it needs to be. Because God's promise is, if you will draw nigh unto me, then what does he say he'll do? I'll draw nigh unto you. This is the promise of God. This thing with the will is so important. If we really want to understand where our battle is, where is our battle? Our battle is not physical objects. Our battle is not people. Our battle is not governments. Everybody say amen. Amen. I hate where the government's going right now. But our battle's not, that's not my war. We've got a lot of people who are willing to die on that hill that aren't willing to die on this hill. They don't want to deal with the desire. We don't want to talk about about all of our rights, all of our our privileges, what we have in this country, what we believe in. We believe in the Second Amendment. We believe in the right for the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. We believe all those things. And we're willing to stand and die on that hill. But I'm telling you, the hill we've got to die on is our desire. That's the war we're fighting. You can somehow, we could all go to, go to civil war and maintain all of those governmental rights and lose our spiritual standing and lose our desire to follow Jesus. And what would we have gained? So let's not lose track that our battle is with those things that capture our thoughts that captivate our attention. The battle for your life, your battle in living for Jesus and and serving Jesus is not exterior. It's not by what comes at your outside. It is the battle for your mind. It is the battle for your thoughts. And if you're not aware of that and you're not working in this area, then you are very, very, very vulnerable. You're extremely vulnerable. I'm going to give you just two examples that I've, I've heard this. And, and I, 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 I deal with this all the time. In fact, you know, just this, this thought um, is so true. And I've, I've stood and counseled and said, please don't. But listen, I, I've heard, you know, this desire. Well, I, I've been praying for a spouse. And all of a sudden, this person came along and it must be God. It must be God because I'm praying for it, Right? So I'm saying, Lord, I, I, I just, I really, I really want this to happen. I really believe in this. And so, I mean, we look and say, God says it's not good for man to be alone, right? That's good. We believe who you finds a wife finds a good thing. All the women say amen. And the husbands say amen. So we know those things are true. Um, okay, so Lord, I want a spouse. Somebody comes along, husband or wife. We say, I've been praying. Here's a person. Must be God, Right? It's all based on our desire, all based on our heart. And I've seen so many people go down the exact road and walk off into a mess. Walk away from their faith, have, a, have destruction in their lives. You're praying for financial blessing. And you say, well, I believe that God wants us to be in health and prosper. The scripture says so as your soul prospers. But 
You're praying, Lord, uh, I, I just need direction. I, I need some improvement. If you'll give me, uh, you know, this other job or, or this other opportunity came up. And, and I've been praying about it. It must be God. But we're battling the whole time the difference between my desires and God's desire. It's the battle. And I don't know what the difference is. Like I said, the word of God is quick and powerful. Hebrews 4, 12. Able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit. The problem is our soul and our spirit are like this. And we can't tell the difference between our desire and God's desire for our life. And let, let oh man, I don't, I don't know if I should say this. There are things that are more sure evidence for your life about God's direction than prayer. I got to be careful here. Because there's everybody all over the world right now praying a lot of prayers. And you could be praying for something the opposite of what I'm praying for. So let's say, for example, everybody says we need the rain. I pour concrete. We don't need the rain. So you're praying for rain and I'm praying it stops. We're both praying. How do we know? We can, be, we can be believing, we can be hoping, we can be expecting a lot of different things. People who have started every cult all did it out of prayer. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, all of the cults have spread out of Jim Jones. I, anybody ever seen anything on Jim Jones? It's crazy how much it looks like what I saw when I was a kid. It's scary, in fact. I'm like, I could hardly tell the difference. All of that started out of prayer, but you know where they missed? The Word of God. See, the Word of God is there as a buffer because your prayers are you're asking most of the time what you want God to do. Really, that's not what prayer is necessarily supposed to be about. There are times where we make our needs known in prayer and supplication. But, but really, it's more that we listen and that we humble ourselves. I think that that's the prayer we don't ever really get to. We don't have too hard of a time getting up and saying, God, this is what I want. Make it happen. We don't have any problem with that prayer. God, humble me and shape me into your will. Not as easy. To pray that prayer. So what is the safeguard? The safeguard, now, and I know this is going to sound redundant, but this is true. Every young person in here tonight, you need to listen to me. All of us old people have made a lot of stupid decisions, already made a lot of mistakes. All the young people listen to me. Okay, here we go. Your prayers and saying, God, this is what I want. Make it happen, make it happen. And if this is what you want, then the, you got a, you got a real slippery slope. But what God does provide for you is counsel within his word about what the truth of what he desires for your life, which is always surrender. It's always plant. It's always root. It's always bear fruit. And I'm going to tell you something else it always is, which Chris, Brother Chris touched on this a little while ago. There's a huge safeguard in pastors and ministers in teachers, God gave the fivefold ministry for the edification of the body, for the perfecting of the saints. This is not putting somebody on a pedestal. But if you don't have four or five people that can speak into your life, then all you're doing is praying your desires. 
I'm okay there. If you don't have people that can speak into your life and say, listen, it's not about anybody controlling. If you've got four or five people that are independent and they're saying the same thing, you might should listen. But I've been praying. Well, that's the problem. We're praying our desires. The battle for us is to put down our will. To put down our desire. Oh, this is a, that's good preaching right there. God's will for your life is that you set yourself in his kingdom. That you plant your feet. Everybody say amen right there. Some of you didn't know, so that's the place. That you take root and you grow fruit. That's another place, say amen. Yeah, because it's be it unto me, Lord. What, what you're saying is what I want. So I've got to plant, I've got to grow. And I cannot grow if I'm in a traveling pot. I like planting fruit trees. I got 19 of them now. They don't grow in pots well. They get to a point where they just can't do anything else. You got to get them out of the pot. You got to get them into the ground. Dad said he doesn't want the little saplings that I've been planting. It's been like three, four years, and they're, you know, that tall now. Dad wants the ones that are like this big around with full fruit going. I don't, I don't know where you get that. And that's kind of honestly where a lot of people want to be spiritually. I don't want to go through the process. I don't want to plant, but I want a lot of really great fruit in my life. If you can kind of keep me on a cart, you can wheel me around wherever and wherever I land, I'm just going to grow. And you know, next week I'll move to the next spot where it's maybe more sunny. I don't know. And so we, we don't understand this planting, but God wants this for our life. Your prayer for God's will, listen, this is really, really important. Your prayer for God's will has no impact. They do not penetrate heaven unless you surrender your will. So we've talked a lot about, you've seen all these books written about prayer. Pray the prayer of Jabez. Pray the prayer of this one. (laughs) Can you not tarry an hour? Larry Lee wrote that. I read that some time ago. And all these thoughts about prayer. But the truth is that if we don't surrender our will, then all of our prayer for God's will is worthless. We can say, God, I want your will. God, I want your will. God, I want your will. You can say that until the cows come home. And they don't, by the way. If they get out, they run. But you can say that until the cows come home. And it will not happen in your life unless you surrender your will. That's the only way God's will can be done. That's what Jesus said to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. But that can't happen unless I surrender my will. Unless I put down my thoughts and my, my desires. So unless you're saying, God, listen. Again, all you young people, I said, listen. Unless you're willing to say, God, I am willing to be single. I am willing to be poor. I'm willing to do whatever your desire for my life, for my family, for, for my place in your kingdom. And the priority of that and the expansion of your church and my role in this body. Unless you're willing to say that, God's not speaking to you independently about other things. God wants you to attach and to grow fruit. I want you to plant roots. So that's what God's going to be saying to you. Give you a heads up. That's what God's going to be saying to you. That's what God's saying to me after 25 years of ministry. Grow fruit. Plant roots. Be strong. Get them deep. So that when the winds blow and when the waves 
come at the foundation. It doesn't erode it and you're not built on sand. Get down on the rock. All those things, they, they never stop applying to our lives. And if we're not praying that prayer, then any opportunity might as, just as well be from Satan as it is from God. I know it's hard to hear, but I've seen too many lives destroyed. Because if all it takes for you is a promotion, if all it takes for you is a relationship to get you out of the will of God, to get you not to focus on what God wants for your life, Satan will gladly provide that for you. See, in America, he doesn't have to come at us with attack. He doesn't have to come at us with persecution. Persecution really only makes the church stronger. What he's done in America is he's come at us with our own desires, with our own thoughts. Let's get, let's get the church at ease. Let's get the church to fall asleep. Let's get the church to stop worrying about God's things. We're just praying, Lord, my things, my promotion, my advancement, what I want. This is my desire. This is what my heart is. And, and that's our prayers all the time. And, and that just opens the door for any, anything then to come in and begin to rip us out of the kingdom of God. And anything that takes you out of the kingdom of God, anything that removes you from, from further pursuing him is not of him. It's not. You can call it a blessing of God, but it's not. The blessings of God always drive us deeper into relationship with him. That's why there's some hard times that you go through that you count later on in your life as blessing. Some of you old people should say amen right there. You live through some things. You understand now that they're a blessing in your life that you didn't understand at the time. Didn't look like they were good back then. So our will and our desire, our predisposed inclinations and affections, this is where the battle is. This is where the war for surrender is. We have to provide the desire, and God provides everything else. But we have to provide the desire. This is going to sound foreign to a lot of people. I, I want to look really quickly at Isaiah chapter 26. I love this passage of Scripture. Verse 8. It says, yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited. Look at this. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. Look at verse 9. I want you to see this distinction. This is an important distinction. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes. By my spirit within me, I seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn of your righteousness. This is the part I really wanted to get to tonight. I said everything I said before here to get to this point. And that is that, that broken down part where he says, With my soul, I have set my affection toward your name. Or to reread that, he says, with my soul, I have desired you in the night, but with my spirit, I will seek you early. Now, I want you to remember that our soul, our will, our desires, our heart allocate the energy and the resources that our breath provides. 
right? So we breathe in. Without breathing, there is no motion in our, in our bodies. We cannot move. We cannot, we cannot do anything without that breathing in of air. The respiratory system, it, it provides all of the energy, every bit of energy. And when people get, get older, we, we don't have the lung capacity. That's why we get more tired more quickly. All these kids run around all the time. We were talking about camp, for example, and I was thinking... You know, we'll, we'll have service in the morning, some kind of a Bible study, then we'll eat lunch. By the time you're done with that, you're probably about 1 o'clock, and then they're going to do choir at like 4, 4.30 or something. So there's like three hours in there, and I'm thinking, man, that's a perfect spot for a nap. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I don't know. All the older people say amen. Now all the kids are going, what are we going to do for three hours? Oh, my goodness. I don't have that energy anymore. The reduction of that breath in our lives reduces our ability to allocate those resources. We only have so much strength. So our soul delegates it. You understand what I'm saying? It goes right back to what I want to do. I allocate the resources to do it. I'm going to get done what I want done. And, And I love this though because what he's saying is that the spirit is the life source that brings the energy to the body. So in the night, my soul has sought you, and that's why my spirit seeks you early. Because the desire of my heart was, in, was for you in the night hours that it made me to take that breath and to get up when I felt like sleeping, and to get up and to seek your face early in the morning. The spirit's not doing that independently. Everybody understand what I'm saying? We've thought of the spirit, and I'm just talking about our body, soul, and spirit. We've thought of the spirit as almost this independent thing. But I really see it, and maybe somebody can correct me. Maybe Pastor Will, I don't think so, but um, maybe you can bring some scripture and say, Oh, you're wrong, Pastor Rodney. But I really see it in this way. I see this frame, this flesh, which is breathing in, but both the body and the spirit in my makeup are really independent agents that don't have sin in them. The spirit's not the problem. My body isn't the problem. The body only does what my soul tells it to do. And the spirit is just that breath coming in my lungs. It's not, the spirit's not the problem. The willful nature inside of me is my issue. That's the issue of my life. So if I get my desires set in the right direction, then this gives the allocation of the resources of my energy the appropriate direction to pursue my God. But we're waiting for the Spirit inside of us to do something else. But the Spirit in us is just the breath that we're breathing. That's all it is. Just breath. That's the Spirit. That's what we're made up of. Body, soul, and spirit, really important. Look at this, though. John chapter 6 and verse 63. i got a couple of scriptures, and I'm trying to hurry here. I make no promises concerning time, but I'm trying to hurry, whatever that means. John chapter 6 and verse 63. It is the spirit, Jesus said, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 
and verse, verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but what does the Spirit do? But the Spirit gives life. I want to reiterate this point. I believe it to be really important. And maybe something you have never understood before. Because God has really been revealing this portion, this understanding to me. About how am I going to live for Jesus. I've got to get the desire right. Our spirit gives life to the desires of our heart. If our desires are evil, it's not the fault of our spirit. It is the fault of our soul. The salvation we need, I cannot find the salvation that we need that we talk about being the salvation of our spirit. I can't find it. But what I do see is that it is the salvation of our soul. Because your problem is not the fact that you're breathing air. The problem is that you're doing the wrong thing with the air you're breathing. That's why you need a Savior. That's why the little babies the pastor talked about today. How could you possibly sin in the womb? You, you're just in there. You don't have any will. You don't have anything that you're doing there. You're just sitting there. You're being shaped and formed. Your life source is flowing from mom. There can't be any sin committed there. The problem is not the breath you're breathing. The problem is not the circulation of oxygen through your body. The problem is what you're doing with that. That's what produces sin. The body does not sin of itself. The hand does not sin. And I think this is what Jesus was making the point of when he said, it's better to cut off your hand and enter into the kingdom of God maimed than it is to go into hell fully membered. But the point is, really, the hand's not the problem. The problem is the heart. That's what needs to be cut off. In fact, the scripture says there needs to be a cutting away of the flesh. The scripture describes it as a circumcision of what? The heart. That's where the problem lies. The problem lies with your desires, your will, my will. That's the problem of my life. Ezekiel says it this way in chapter 18 and verse 20. It says, the soul that sins shall surely die. Again, the problem is our soul, our will, our desires. And this is beautifully addressed. I love this. I have to bring this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Say, well, Pastor Rodney, you're jumping all over in the scripture. I know I am because in the mouth are two or three witnesses. Everything should be established. I believe this is so perfectly summed up. This is, I love this. God just put this in my heart a couple weeks ago. And I've been thinking about it ever since then. Listen. And so it is written. The first man... Adam became a living being, or it says a living soul. Does it say soul in the kingdom? Do you have it up there? 1 Corinthians 15, 45. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 and it says there, you don't have to turn there, but it says that God 
breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Nephesh is the Hebrew word. It's that exact same thought. The nephesh is that that will, that, that thing that makes you individual, the fact that we're not just in uniformity and everybody thinks the same thought and, and everybody here would have a different thought tonight. We all, we all have our independent ideas and thoughts and that's good, we love it. That's how God made us to be. The uniformity is not in our thoughts, the uniformity is on our, in our service and our, and our uh, affection for Christ. That's what brings us together, otherwise we're divided. So God breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. He forms this body out of the dirt. He shapes him, and then he breathes into his nostrils. And he does not become just alive, but he gives breath to that will. He doesn't just become like, like Frankenstein's dummy that they flip the power switch and then it's just out of control because it has no direction. No, God breathes in and his breath gives life to that will. And we've used this several times, but I love that the proof of this just begins right there in the garden when it says, and God ran the animals in front of Adam to see what he would call them. Because God didn't tell him what to call them. God gave him will. And Adam looked and he said, that's a giraffe. I mean, God, he might have been laughing. I don't know. You know to just, to, just to see what, what Adam would say there. To, but I think it's a, it's a picture clearly that God was giving him freedom of will. He formed this. He breathed into him. He became a living soul. So then the second Adam, which we know is Jesus. This is the type. Jesus was formed in the womb of Mary. And God breathed life into him. And he was born a living soul. The first Adam became a living soul. And the second Adam was born a living soul. Just like you and I. Did Jesus have a will? Did he have an appetite? He said, I hunger. Did, did, he, did he have emotion? He wept. Yes, he had a will. Yes, he had thoughts. Yes, he had desires. And he was constantly in the process. This is part of what Jesus' incarnation was about. God becoming flesh was showing us how we can live as human beings, putting down our desires and down our will in order to please our Father. It's part of what this whole thing was about. It's not just that he offers salvation and, and sanctification. That's needed. But I need to know how to live for him. We've done so much preaching about salvation. But how do I live for him? Well, Jesus gave me the example. I've got to put down my will. I've got to put down my desires. The first Adam allowed his will to drive him to disobedience. He used the breath of God to follow his own desires. And he died as the result of his sin. But Philippians 2, and you can follow along there, says, but Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient until death, even the death of the cross. And the result of this 
is that he resurrected and became the life-giving spirit. I told dad yesterday, I walked into his office and I was studying yesterday morning and so was he. And, and I just, I, I just kind of see it as this cyclical thing. God formed Adam. God breathed life into Adam. Jesus comes in the form of man. And now upon that death, that burial and that resurrection, he becomes that breath of life. just cyclical it's just God's breathing in and out this is what God wanted to do he's not just living but the one who makes alive this is what is so vital for our life here's the problem that we face we cannot be born again and living in the newness of life without the spirit of God living and breathing in us and we get all these different doctrines and ideas. And some people believe you could be saved without receiving the Spirit of God. How? Jesus didn't talk about salvation in that way. Jesus, they said, what, the, the rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, you must be born from above. But what good is a baby born without breath? What life is there? There's none. Brother Jake just shared that testimony that everybody was crying about, that we're all moved by. That baby born without life, it can, be, it can be born, but it's dead. God doesn't give stillborn Christians. God doesn't do that. If you're going to be born again, you're going to be born with the Spirit of God breathing in you. What is that? Again, I told you last time, I want you to think differently about the Spirit of God. Now, His Spirit is different than our spirit. And I'll get there in just a second. But the Spirit of God is that life-giving Spirit. There's all kinds of things that come with it, but it's the life-giving Spirit. You cannot be born again without the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Everybody say amen. So some people believe you can be saved without the Spirit of God. Other people believe that the proof of that Spirit of God being in you is speaking in tongues, which it clearly isn't. What the scripture does maintain and does, does tell us, though, is that we must have the Spirit of God residing in us because we cannot be alive without His Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So without the Spirit of God, you are dead. With the Spirit of God, you are alive to live unto Him. He's given you the energy, the resources. To live for Him. God's Spirit, though, will not be subject to the soul of man. Remember what our soul's doing? Our soul is bossing around our spirit. Right? Our soul is telling our spirit what to do. And so then the spirit of God comes inside of us and we think that our soul is going to tell him what to do. Well, God, this is what I want. I've heard, I've literally heard the word of faith preachers get up and say, command God. Anybody heard that? Command God. You got the spirit of God in you. You tell God what to do. Uh, that's not how that works. God's spirit will not be subject to the human soul. It won't be. 
So, following that train of thought, unless we surrender and die to our flesh, then his spirit cannot dwell within us. And that's the part that old-fashioned Pentecost doesn't want to deal with. We want to get all excited, and I'm all for, you know, I, sometimes I'm jump, sometimes I shout. I'm all for being emotional. I think it's a part of our life. But unless I deny myself, surrender my desire, then God's Spirit will not inhabit me. If we don't surrender our will to His desires, then we live for ourselves and we suffocate the life of Christ within us. And we die in our sins just like Adam did. Now, let me also give one last thing, and I'm working toward the close here. But the Holy Spirit does not force action within us. I know I'm teaching and we're kind of covering a lot of area here, but again, something I, I remember seeing when I was a young man is seeing people go and do weird and wild and crazy things and saying, God made them do it. The Spirit of God made me do this. The Spirit of God doesn't force action in your life. But this is where the Spirit of God is different than what our spirit is. Remember I said our spirit is independent. It just, it's just breath and the soul tells it what to do. But the Spirit of, of God does something inside of us. It gives birth to something and then it gives breath to something. He doesn't just give the breath. Remember, it's not just the resources to do what we want with it. But he gives birth to the life inside of us first, and then he gives breath to that thing that he birthed. So he is not just the, the uh, inhaling of the Spirit of God or the breathing in of that, that respiration, but he is the inspiration behind the respiration. Everybody following what I'm saying? While our spirit is weak and that it is subject to and in obedience to our soul, God's spirit is there not only to empower and enable us to holy action, but to inspire us to holy action. When God's spirit is present inside of us, it begins to encourage and to foster and to cultivate holiness in our lives. That's why the description of his spirit is what? Holy. It's not an independent spirit. It's not a spirit that does not come with an agenda. His spirit comes with an agenda. And if you want to see God, then you're going to have holiness. That which no man shall see God. So the spirit of God comes in. He comes in your life and he is bringing an agenda. And his agenda is not tongues. And his agenda is not running around the church. And his agenda is not being wild, footloose, and fancy free. His agenda is to challenge you to deny yourself and to listen to what he's saying. That's what the spirit of God is there for in your life. I'm not speaking against emotion. In fact, I believe that it should be evident in our lives. I think our worship should be 
I don't really like the word extravagant, but I do think it should be boisterous. I do think it should be emotional. But the Spirit of God is not coming at you to make you do weird things. The Spirit of God is inspiring you to lay more of your life down in your pursuit of knowing Him. Now, I'm not saying tonight that when you walk out of this building that your desires will only be for holy things. Because in your flesh, I'm going to tell you the exact opposite. When you walk out of this building tonight, your fleshly desires are going to be the exact same desires as they were when you came in this building tonight. Your flesh, man, never goes away. Your passion, your appetite, your will, your affections, that never goes away. It never ceases to be as long as we live. But what we are doing, it's not that those things end, it's that we refuse to obey them anymore. That's what the Spirit of God is doing inside of us. It is enabling us not to be in bondage to the sin. Can you live a life that is, that is victorious over sin? Absolutely! And if you're not, then I want to introduce you to the Lord. Because that's what His Spirit is there to do. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not obey the what? The desires of your heart. That's what he's saying. The lust of flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't obey. You will no longer be bound to your appetite. You'll stay faithful to your wife and faithful to your husband. You'll be faithful to the things of God. Because you're walking in that Spirit, you're choosing to lay down your desire. I'm not suggesting that desire goes away. Remember I said it, it won't. We're waiting for God to come along and make it easy for us. We're waiting for God to come along and that you'll just wake up and every morning want to read for like two or three hours in the Bible. Every morning just want to. I, I got all kinds of things I could do and I want to sit here and read the Bible. And I want to pray. And I'm not mocking that. I'm saying in your flesh, that's never, ever, ever going to happen. Because you're going to always have other things, other desires, other appetites. It's in that surrender. It's in that surrender where we begin to allow the Lord to work in our lives. And if we allow God's Spirit to move within us, to have access to our lives because we are denying our desires, then the same Spirit that dwelt in Christ, that raised him from the dead, the scripture promises will also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies. You're not in this thing alone. You don't have to come up with the ability. You don't have to come up with the energy. All you have to do is come up with the desire. And if your desire is after the Lord, then God's going to pour His Spirit out into your life. And you're going to be full to overflowing. And you're going to begin to flow into the world around you. If we want to see God touch our families, touch our friends, touch our workplace, if we want to see that happen, deny our desires 
and let God's spirit move within us. Why don't we just say that right now? Why don't you throw your hands up if you want to and just say, Lord, I'm surrendering. Just like they do when they come out of war and we just throw our hands up and we say, God, I've been fighting in the foxholes, but I'm not fighting you anymore. I'm surrendering to your will. God, I'm here to do what you want for my life. Jesus, this is what I desire. In your mighty name, amen.